Welcome to this podcast in our Navigating Risks in Tax Investigations and Disputes series. I'm Alison Dickey from the Freshfields London Tax Team. In this podcast, we are going to discuss the application and relevance of legal professional privilege in the context of tax investigations and disputes, with a focus on the English law concept of legal professional privilege in the civil, as opposed to the criminal, context. Legal professional privilege is a key concept to be familiar with when dealing with tax investigations and disputes, and can be an important strategic tool for taxpayers dealing with these matters. However, as we are going to explore in more detail in this podcast, the practical application of legal professional privilege is not always clear-cut, and an understanding of fundamental privilege issues at the outset of a contentious tax matter could be key to how the matter progresses. With me to discuss this are my colleagues, Sarah Bond and David Hockey from our London tax team, as well as Simon Murray from our London Disputes and Investigations team. Thank you all for joining me today. So as a starting point, can I ask you, Sarah, to remind us what legal professional privilege is and why it is important? Well, that's absolutely the right place to start. At a high level, legal professional privilege is a fundamental legal right belonging to a recipient of legal advice, not to have to disclose the legal advice that's been provided to it. And if we focus on the UK, the two main types of legal professional privilege we would usually think about in tax disputes are legal advice privilege and litigation privilege. There are other categories of privilege as well. Uh, And another you might encounter during the course of a tax inquiry is the without prejudice rule, for example, which essentially prevents things said in an attempt to settle a dispute being used against you later on in any litigation. But today we're going to be focusing on legal advice privilege and litigation privilege. And if I turn to the second part of your question, why it's important, thinking about that in the tax context, it's because it provides protection from, firstly, the requirement to disclose documents to HMRC during the course of an inquiry, and secondly, the requirement to disclose documents to your opponent in any subsequent litigation, which in the tax context would, of course, usually again be HMRC. So if you imagine a client has a written opinion from its lawyer on the tax treatment of a transaction entered into, which HMRC are now challenging, that opinion, we might assume, discusses tax analysis and concludes that there are arguments in either direction on a particular point. But the better view is the one which the client ultimately adopts for the purposes of its return. It should be possible for the taxpayer to rely on privilege so as not to have to disclose that to HMRC and effectively point them in the direction of arguments that could be raised against it. Thanks, Sarah. That's helpful. Before we think about privilege in a more practical scenario, Simon, can you provide a reminder of what the tests are for legal advice privilege as opposed to litigation privilege? Sure. So legal advice privilege protects confidential communications between a lawyer and their client, where the dominant purpose of those communications is the seeking or giving of legal advice. Litigation privilege, on the other hand, protects communications between the lawyer and the client, but also between the lawyer or the client and third parties. So in that respect, it provides a broader protection than legal advice privilege because it extends to communications with third parties, and that could include uh, tax advisors or accounting advisors. However, an important caveat to bear in mind is that the communications must have been made for the sole or dominant purpose of conducting litigation, which is currently on foot or is reasonably contemplated. And as with uh, legal advice privilege also, you have to maintain the confidentiality of those communications. That said, it is possible where only legal advice privilege applies to share privileged documents with a third party if you have a common interest with them or on the basis of what we call a limited waiver, which means a waiving privilege as regard that third party. 
but not as regards the world at large. Thanks for that explanation, Simon. Thinking about privilege in a more practical context, let's consider an example. A client receives a letter from the UK tax authority HMRC querying an aspect of the UK group's latest corporation tax return and requests additional information. What should the client be thinking about from a privilege perspective at this stage? So as I mentioned earlier, Alison, a taxpayer is not required to disclose privileged material to HMRC. And so for most taxpayers, the starting point will be that they only disclose to HMRC broadly what they have to disclose. So that means the client should be thinking about what materials or documents would be privileged and so don't have to be provided. How do you do that? Well, some documents are likely to be marked as privileged. For example, emails from law firms often include that word in the email footer. And identifying those documents is a useful starting point. But that's never going to be the whole story because some documents described as privileged might not necessarily be. And on the flip side, there may, of course, be other documents not marked as privileged, which are nevertheless privileged. So ideally, the taxpayer would consider the potential application of privilege to all documents proposed to be disclosed. Although, of course, depending on the number of documents involved, there are different ways and means of approaching that. So normally at this stage, you'll be thinking about whether legal advice privilege applies to documents you might have to disclose because it looks like they're responsive to HMRC's request. And this can give rise to some difficult decisions or judgment calls. So for example, for a company, the client is not every employee of that company, but rather it's a select group within that company that's authorised to seek or receive legal advice. So any legal advice that has been widely disseminated may have lost privilege. Another really difficult area is email sent to multiple recipients, including, for example, a member of the legal team, such as general counsel. You have to then get into considering whether the dominant purpose of that email was to seek legal advice from the general counsel. However, if the dominant purpose was actually to get the commercial views from the other non-lawyers that were on that email, then the email might not be privileged. You've also got to consider the capacity in which the general counsel is acting. So, for example, they may also be a member of the board of directors. And you then have to ask which hat they're wearing. Are they wearing their hat as a legal advisor or are they wearing their hat as a director of the company? And I think it's also important there to be aware of the the jurisdictional differences between privilege rules in particular jurisdictions. Um, So the the test for what is privileged and what is not will vary across jurisdictions. uh, And equally, the, the scope of privilege protection where it does apply will also vary. Um, To give an example of that, in in many civil law jurisdictions, including many continental European jurisdictions, there is no concept of legal professional privilege as we would understand it in England. But even within common law jurisdictions, there can be differences. So, for example, if we were to compare the the rules on privilege in England with the the rules in the US. Um, And so when we're considering privilege in the context of a an English dispute or an English inquiry, we are focusing on the the English law tests, even if we are looking at communications with lawyers in other jurisdictions. But it is important for taxpayers to be aware of those jurisdictional differences, particularly as between jurisdictions in which they have activities, but also not to assume that because a, a document is privileged in one jurisdiction, it will necessarily be privileged in another. The other point that I would make is that Once we have, in our scenario, gone through the process of identifying which documents are privileged and which are not, um, Simon mentioned earlier that it is possible to waive privilege in in documents that are privileged in order to enable them to be disclosed to, to HMRC. And so the next question, once you have identified which documents are privileged, 
would be to take a view on whether the client wants to assert privilege in those documents in order to withhold disclosure, or in fact wants to waive privilege over those documents so that they can be disclosed. So one example of that is that we sometimes have clients who obtain, for example, a a strong technical legal opinion from counsel or from their legal advisors, um, and they may take the view that they want to disclose that opinion to HMRC in the context of an ongoing inquiry, whether that's to try to persuade HMRC that their technical position is right, or at least to um, cause HMRC to, to reassess the strength of their own technical position. And so in that context, it may be appropriate to waive privilege. One other privilege point that you need to have in mind when responding to HMRC's request in this scenario is in relation to the communications uh, relating to the request itself. So you need to be asking yourself, are those communications going to be covered by litigation privilege or just by legal advice privilege? And then if it's only legal advice privilege which applies, you need to really be mindful that communications with third parties other than your solicitors, they're not going to be privileged. Thanks, Simon. That's an interesting point that we'll come back later, as well as other interesting points that have been raised in this discussion. And in particular, we'll come back to discussing waiving privilege in more detail. But before that, can we discuss the situation where a taxpayer is withholding some documents from disclosure because they are privileged? Does HMRC test whether those documents have been correctly classified as privileged? How does that typically work in practice? So HMRC can challenge whether materials are privileged, but in my experience, that tends to be pretty rare. More common is for HMRC to ask more general questions, I suppose, around the approach that's been taken to identifying privileged documents. So, for example, uh, they would like to know what's the list of lawyers that you've been looking at when you've been trying to establish whether emails have been sent between a lawyer and a client. And so you need to be prepared if you're going to be withholding some documents on the grounds of privilege, uh, at least informally, to defend the approach that you've taken to working out what's privileged and what's not. And typically, a way that you would do that is sort of by getting on the front foot and providing a log of privileged materials to HMRC. So what I have in mind there is is a table, essentially. So imagine disclosing a thousand emails, say, uh, of which a hundred are privileged and so are being withheld you send to HMRC alongside the disclosure a table which lists the emails that are being uh, withheld for privileged grounds uh, by reference to the sender and the recipient of the email, date, time, and the reason that it's considered to be privileged. So, for example, if it's a request for legal advice, and then HMRC can cross-check that against the list of lawyers that they have so they can see where the lawyers appear in the email chains and go on to ask further questions of you in relation to that. One point, actually, I also wanted to mention, which we haven't picked up yet, I think, is the fact that a document can be only partly privileged. So if you imagine an email chain uh, which starts off talking about legal advice, for example, it's an exchange between a lawyer and a client, and then progresses into something else entirely among a different group of people, it's conceivable that only the bit of the email chain at the beginning that covers the legal advice bit is privileged and the rest of it is not. So another thing that you would do typically is if you are in that situation, you have some documents that are only partly privileged, you would redact the privileged bit so that HMRC can't see that bit, but otherwise provide the rest of the document. And similarly, you would often include within your privilege log a list of the documents that are being redacted because they are partly privileged in the same way. Sarah, just picking up on another point you made there, which is in relation to being able to defend your approach to classifying documents on the basis of privilege. 
I think in my my experience, a, a good practice to get into is to keep a record of what you've withheld for privilege and the reasons for doing so. And I say that because you maybe get challenged on this by HMRC later on down the line. And that can sometimes be months or years later. So it's much better if you've made a contemporaneous record rather than trying to have to reconstruct your reasoning and your thinking months or years later. Especially if it's one of those tricky judgment calls that you mentioned. I completely agree. Thanks both. Some really good practical uh, points there to, to consider. Um, then coming back to the point that, that David made about a situation where the taxpayer has identified a really helpful document from their perspective, which is privileged, should the client waive privilege? Well, I don't think this is a yes or no answer. It's um, <clears throat> one where you've got to think really carefully about that decision, because it is quite a big decision to make to waive privilege um, in a document or in advice. And I think you need to ask yourself, how helpful is it really to disclose this document? For example, if it's an opinion from counsel, for example, blessing the tax treatment or structuring of a particular transaction, how much weight is HMRC really going to give that advice? Are they going to think you've cherry-picked the documents and only giving them the, the material that's helpful to your case? Are they going to push you to waive privilege in other documents? And what sort of precedent are you setting if you're establishing that you are prepared to waive privilege in, in your legal advice? So I think it's a really difficult judgment call and one you need to think carefully about particularly given the, the consequences. And just to build on that point, so one of the, the issues that needs to be considered when taking the decision whether or not to waive privilege is whether the waiver of privilege over one document or a set of documents may risk privilege being waived over a, a wider set of, of related documents. So if, for example, a client were to take the view that it wanted to waive privilege over a, a set of emails between particular parties, it may be difficult to withhold disclosure of further emails between those parties uh, on the basis of privilege. And so with that in mind, it's important not just to consider whether the particular documents that you have in mind are helpful to disclose to, to HMRC, but also whether there are any other documents that might also need to be disclosed and whether taken together those documents are on balance helpful to disclose or, or not helpful to disclose. Yeah, and I think there's some practical measures you might might want to think about taking in order to minimise the extent to which you provide privileged documents to HMRC. So you might want to permit them to inspect the documents, but not to take copies of them. Or you might provide a summary of what the documents say. And this would all still be, on, of course, on the basis of a limited waiver. But it's important to say that none of those approaches are, are without risk, if you like. HMRC are not going to be able to unlearn what they've learned from reading those documents of what they've seen. You've still waived privilege in the substantive advice, even if they don't have the documents. But there may, of course, still be some benefit to you in retaining control of the documents and ensuring HMRC doesn't have the documents and minimising the risk of you know, the, the documents being disseminated more widely. The other comment I'd make on this is that this sort of approach of, of waiving privilege in certain documents can help you appear more cooperative with HMRC, which you may consider to be something that is in your favour. It also helps avoid the possibility of HMRC seeking to draw any adverse inferences from the non-disclosure of privileged material. Although, strictly speaking, given privilege is a fundamental right, they should not be drawing any adverse inferences from any assertion of legal privilege. So you're well within your rights to assert it. If I could just jump in there quickly. I think, again, it's a decision that's very much going to depend upon the context. So if you're in a situation where you're having to demonstrate to HMRC a reasonable excuse for failing to do something or that 
due care was taken in preparing a return, for example. And the only way in which you can do that is by showing that advice was taken. It's going to be very difficult not actually to provide the advice. And so in those circumstances, relying on privilege and not disclosing to HMRC the advice that you've obtained is likely, sort of by default, to result in HMRC drawing adverse inferences about your position because they simply can't see the evidence that they need to see to be able to draw a positive conclusion. So I completely agree with what Simon was saying, but I think it does depend a bit on the context. And just to build slightly on another point that that Simon was making, so so you mentioned, Simon, the possibility of of limited waiver of privilege. So if a client does decide that it would be in their interest to waive privilege over particular documents, it may be possible in certain circumstances to do that on a, a limited basis. In other words, privilege can be waived over a document for certain specified purposes, but without being waived for other purposes. And that can be really useful, for example, if the client wants to share privilege material with a third party on a confidential basis without losing privilege more generally. So in a a tax context, for example, if the client wants to disclose particular documents to a tax authority for the, the sole purpose of a particular investigation, but to retain privilege in those documents as against the world. Again, though, I think this is an area where it's important to be aware of the the jurisdictional differences that I mentioned earlier. So in particular, the US does not have a a doctrine of limited waiver of privilege as we would understand it in English law. And so it may be helpful to waive privilege over documents on a limited basis in English proceedings. But there may then be a risk that in the US that is viewed as a general waiver of privilege over those documents, so that if there is a a subsequent request for disclosure of those documents in US proceedings, it's no longer possible to rely on on privilege in relation to those documents. And that risk, um, as well as the risk of collateral waiver that we touched on earlier, means that it is really important to think carefully about whether it is in fact in a particular client's interest to waive privilege. And this is an area where we would normally recommend that the clients obtain advice as to, firstly, whether it is in their interest to waive privilege, uh, and if so, um, how best to do that in, in order to ensure that those risks can be appropriately managed. Thank you. Again, some really useful practical points there. We've previously mentioned the distinction between legal advice privilege versus litigation privilege. Coming back to our example, In the situation where the position has escalated and it seems that HMRC is moving to formally challenge a position included in the client's corporation tax return, when would the client need to think about litigation privilege applying? That's a really important point, Alison, because as Simon described earlier, once litigation privilege applies, there's protection for communications between a broader group of people. But there's not really a bright line test which can be applied in all cases so that you can easily say from this point onwards, litigation is in reasonable contemplation and therefore litigation privilege applies. It's going to vary in different cases depending on the facts. Yeah, I think it can be really challenging to identify the point at which uh, an HMRC inquiry or an investigation has tipped over from the point where it's just asking questions or fact finding to the point where it becomes adversarial and it's quite clear that you're heading towards litigation because there's a dispute involved, and at which point the litigation privilege applies. And there's a whole bunch of relatively recent case law around that, which I won't get into the detail of, other than to say it could be challenging to identify that point. And, and I think what, what that case law that I've mentioned shows is it can be helpful if you've documented your thinking at the time 
as to why litigation privilege applies, and in particular, the point at which it began to apply. And that needs to be the thinking of the the client itself and not the thinking of the solicitors, although, of course, that decision-making will be informed by legal advice. And you're right, Simon. I think especially it can be quite difficult if a taxpayer is keen to settle, which often tends to be the case, and litigation would really only be a last resort if a settlement would effectively involve conceding their position altogether. And in those circumstances, you might need to consider quite carefully whether litigation would ever be a possibility and in what circumstances it might be as part of that sort of overall consideration of at which point might you realistically say that litigation is reasonably contemplated. Yeah, I think that's right. And and it's probably important to note there that in relation to settlement, where the document is prepared for the purpose of avoiding litigation or avoiding proceedings, then that itself will be will be subject to privilege. But it does require that you to be contemplating those proceedings. And if you're not contemplating those proceedings because you can't envisage a world in which you would litigate uh, the matter, uh, then you probably aren't going to get the protection of litigation privilege. If, however, later down the line, despite your best intentions, it turns out that you are in litigation privilege territory, um, it will apply then, but not retrospectively. So you'll only have the protection of litigation privilege from that point forward. So that's just an important point to, to bear in mind in terms of your, you know, your thought processes and thinking and your approach to disputes and issues with HMRC. Thank you. That seems it can be quite a, a tricky distinction to navigate in practice. Kind of another practical point. In practice, the client's team of advisors is likely to be wider than only including lawyers. In a tax context in particular, the client may receive tax advice from an accounting firm. How does the client make sure that the advice is protected in these circumstances? So I suppose the, the starting point to that question is, is just to emphasise that legal advice privilege applies only to communications with uh, lawyers, so between clients and, and their lawyers, not to communications between clients and their other advisors, including tax advisors or accountants or, or auditors or other non-legal advisors. Uh, and so as a result, those communications will only be privileged if litigation privilege applies. And so it's particularly important in that context to really assess the, the conditions for litigation privilege in order to, to form a view as to whether that privilege might apply in those circumstances. Yeah, I think that's right. It does come back to that question as to at which point an investigation or inquiries turn into to litigation or where uh, a dispute is reasonably in contemplation, because in those early stages, you won't necessarily be in litigation privileged territory. And so if you're receiving advice as to your position from uh, other advisors, non-lawyers, um, such as accountants or tax advisors, and they're advising as to the strengths or weaknesses of your position, there's a risk, a material risk that those documents won't, that advice won't be privileged. So you just need to think very carefully about where you are and what stage of the the investigation or proceedings you are at. So it's clear from the discussion today that navigating privilege issues, both generally in a tax context, is no easy task. What steps can clients take to manage this issue in a tax context? I think one thing that can be really helpful is that so so far we've really been talking about privilege in a disputes context, so trying to identify sort of after the event, once you receive a request for disclosure of documents, whether particular documents are, are privileged or not. Actually, it can be really helpful to think about privilege on a more ongoing basis before you get to that stage in order to reach a sort of house view on whether particular documents might be privileged 
to ensure that they can be marked appropriately and to give yourself a bit of a head start if you do receive a, a request for disclosure in future and you need to take a view on which documents are, are privileged. So, for example, we often have clients who regularly in the course of their business prepare documents that, for example, summarise the tax analysis of particular transactions or the tax risks associated with particular transactions, often as part of the internal approval processes for those transactions. And it can be quite helpful to reach a, a house view on whether or not those documents are, are privileged and ensure that is, is appropriately flagged on the documents. I think another helpful piece of advice, practical advice, is that you should always be thoughtful about what you're putting in writing. And that applies regardless of the format, whether it's email, uh, SMS, chat or WhatsApp. All of those documents, all of those media can potentially become disclosable later on down the line. So you need to be very careful and thoughtful as to what you put in writing. I think that's a really good point, Simon, because at the moment, generally HMRC's approach would be to ask for documents and emails in particular. Uh, But I think we all know that we tend to write things down in a more informal way in Teams chat or WhatsApp, whatever it might be. And at some stage, I expect HMRC will catch up to that fact and start requesting those kinds of documents, which are, as it stands, potentially disclosable already. So in that area in particular, I think that's a really important practical point to take away. I think one of the other things that can be helpful is where you do have documents that you believe to be privileged is to label them privileged and confidential. The one caveat I would say to that is to not overly label and put that label on every document throughout the business because that then ends up presenting practical difficulties down the line when it comes to determining what is and is not privileged. And so that's almost a plea to to help us out a bit when it comes to to our job later down the line. It makes our job easier um, if things are labelled appropriately. Uh, and I might just include a shameless plug for training, uh, in particular for tax teams, but also as a refresher for legal teams on what privilege is when you need to think about it in the tax context and how it's relevant to documents produced in the client's particular business. So picking up on the point that David mentioned around thinking about those kinds of internal approval documents, which include tax analysis, and whether it's possible to improve the privilege position in relation to those, for example, if they were to be prepared by lawyers, uh, if that's at all possible. So training regular training on what privilege is, is always going to be really helpful as well. Thank you all for your insights today, which have been very valuable. And we hope this has been a useful session for listeners in providing practical pointers for those considering privilege issues in the context of tax disputes. If you have found this discussion useful, you may be interested in the other materials in our Navigating Risks in Tax Investigations and Disputes series, which are available on the Freshfields website. You may also be interested in our contentious tax tool, which helps navigate risks arising on tax-related disputes and investigations by operating as a checklist to consult both when a tax dispute is on the horizon or a new issue arises on an ongoing dispute. Further details on the tool, including details of how to access the tool, are available on the podcast landing page on the Freshfields website. And with that, all that's left for me to do is say thank you again to our speakers today, Sarah Bond, David Hockey and Simon Murray.